Well, good morning, church, and those who are joining us by live stream. We're so, so glad to be able to worship today. Um, we are in the book of 2 Timothy, and we're discussing the theme of how to live well in a topsy-turvy world. And part of the issue is, is uh, that, that we live in an age of information overload plus rapid change that makes us just uh, confused. It's kind of like you're punch drunk. You don't know what's going on. And so in the midst of that, we are discussing out of this book just for a few weeks how to be people who live with a courageous commitment to the Lord, how to live as called out people, how to get up off the mat. Even though you're knocked down seven times, you get up eight. In the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul uses that imagery. He says, he says basically, he says in chapter 4, he says, we're struck down, but we're not destroyed. We keep on getting up. He says, we're, we're, we're confused and perplexed, but we never are in despair. So how to live with a sense of courageous enthusiasm, how to have joy in a turbulent age, how to develop sea legs. And as, as Paul addresses that to his young son in the faith, Timothy, here's his answer. We're going to look at this morning with some broad comments. The way you live courageously is to immerse yourself and be gladdened and be centered on the gospel of grace and what Jesus is doing in your life by the power of the Holy Spirit. So you need to, to center upon the greatness of Christ. Paul is writing to this young man who's a little timid. We think shy, a little hesitant. And he's saying, Timothy, this is a tough calling. He says, I'm going to ask you to stay in the city of Ephesus, which is a very large cosmopolitan city filled with all types of isms. Idol worship was rampant. It was economically strong. It was culturally strong. It was academically strong. It was a major city. And you're among a group of people called followers of Jesus. And you're a very small minority in this huge ocean of ideas and attitudes that are against what you believe. So he said, Timothy, you've got to be strong. And so he's saying, he doesn't sugarcoat it. He says, I'll give you some examples. Chapter 1, verse 8, he says, join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. Suffering. He says again in verse 12 of chapter 1, he says, I'm a, an apostle and a preacher and a teacher. He says, that is why I suffer as I do. There's suffering involved. Chapter 1, verse 15, he says, Timothy, you are aware that all who are in Asia have turned away from me. So people have just walked away from me. They, 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 they've gone the other way. And then he talks about what's going to happen in these days in chapter 3. And his day and our day. He said, this is what happens when people abandon the reality of God. He said, in part, there are certain men who are going to be people who get their way into the affection of what he calls women without much of a moral compass. And they're going to lead them astray. And he says, these are men who are like the people that are always learning but never come into a knowledge of the truth. I'm surrounded by a culture that wants to have more and more knowledge and more and more live feeds and more and more podcasts and, and, and more and more, some people, credentials and board certifications. But here's what they're committed to. There is no fixed truth. 
Who knows? And, and Paul says, that's going to mark these people. They're going to always learn but never come to the knowledge of the truth. He says in chapter 4, he says, uh, you're going to preach the word even to the believers. And there are going to be some believers who, because they want to hear a different message that's more palatable to who they are and what they want to believe, that they're, they're going to go the other way. And we experienced that. He says in chapter 4, verse 10, he says, There's a man named Demas who has loved the present world and has deserted me. We don't know the background or what happened, but Demas has left the gospel and he deserted Paul. And he says also in chapter 4, verse 14, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. So, so Paul, Paul isn't sugarcoating the very difficult nature of what he's called Timothy to do. So Timothy is hard. I would say it's, it's difficult to live for Christ in any culture, but at times, I think right now as I get older, this is, this is a, a very difficult time when up is down and down is up and what was right yesterday is not right today and nobody's doing it right and so forth. I mean, it is, it is a, a time of conspiracy theories and castigation and personal assassination like I've never seen before. And so, what do you do? And Paul says, Timothy, if you're going to stay by the stuff and be courageous and strong, you need to continually rehearse the gospel of grace and what God has done in your life. And so I'm going to go through part of chapter 1 and just mention seven things that Paul says Timothy should constantly rehearse as he tries to seek the Lord and as he walks in courageous faith. So he says, first of all, chapter 1, 2 Timothy, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that's found in Jesus Christ. See, Paul says, Timothy, there is life in the present context. There's joy and peace and hope and harmony, and there's an eternity that awaits you. So, so, so Timothy, realize that knowing Jesus is glorious. There's a promise of life, and as you understand that promise of life, he says, grace, mercy, and peace, chapter, verse 2, are pumped into your life by God the Father and the Lord Christ Jesus. So, so there's the promise of life and joy and hope and peace. And as you do that, this, this, is, this is pumped into your life. It's a life-giving reality. That's number one. Rejoice in the promise of life. Number two, he says, Timothy, rejoice in the fact that you are deeply loved. He says, he says Timothy, I remember your tears and I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. To Timothy, I am in your life, and I want to see you, and when I'm with you, I'm filled with joy. It's a, it's a privilege to know you. And so if we're going to be filled with life and energy, we need to be thankful for and remember people that have loved us and cared for us, whether it's parents or teachers or coaches or, 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 or church leaders, people that really cared for us. And they've entrusted that to us, and they love us. And thirdly, he says, you've received a sincere faith. Verse 3, a sincere faith that first of all lived in your grandmother Lois and now in your mother Eunice. He said, I'm, and I'm convinced it lives in you. Sincere faith means a faith that can be tested by the Son. It's the real deal. It's not one of these pseudo faiths where you're here today and gone tomorrow. It is the real deal. And you receive this legacy from your grandmama and your mama. Be encouraged. He says, be encouraged with that, Timothy. That, that, that you have received the baton and you're running the race. He says, fourthly, realize this, Timothy. God has given you the Holy Spirit, verse 7. 
God has given us not a spirit of timidity or drawing back, but a spirit of power and love and discipline. Power to do the right thing. Love to care for different people in, in difficult circumstances. And, and, and discipline, having a sound mind, making good judgment. And Timothy, you have received this Holy Spirit that is indwelling you and works in you and pulls you along. And you received the Holy Spirit, Timothy, that's energizing you. And listen, right now, I, I rejoice that the Holy Spirit is right now in this context in your life and in my life, right now is opening our eyes to see the Scripture. The Holy Spirit right now is exalting the beauty and the goodness of Christ. The Holy Spirit right now is convicting of areas of sin or, or neglect or leaving things undone that should have been done. The Holy Spirit lives and works among us right now. And so he said, Timothy, if you're to stay by the stuff, you have received the Holy Spirit that gives you the ability to do difficult things and love difficult people and think well. And he says, fifthly, you have to realize that, that you have received, Timothy, a salvation that is eternal. Now, this, is, this gets into the eternal nature of salvation and God's election of us and what that means. And it's a great mystery. But just listen to this verse. This is verse 9. He says, God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ before the ages began. I don't understand that. But what he's saying is this, Timothy, if you're in Christ, realize it's not because of what you've done or because you thought your way into the kingdom or you held on fast and rode the horse into the kingdom. Timothy, it's because God worked in your heart and he loves you with an everlasting love that began before the heavens were made and the earth was formed and the starry universe was thrown in place. That's wild. It's called the eternal covenant of redemption. He says, if you, if you want to be strong in faith, concentrate and understand on the greatness, on the eternal love of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit for you. It's wild. Understand that. Number six, understand, Timothy, that he has, verse 10, abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He has abolished death. What, what, what does that mean? It means that he has abolished the fear of death, the terror of death. He's just, he's abolished it. Because Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And you realize that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Boom. Death. 1 Corinthians 15. Death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? I know I've it's, 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 it's taken away. I just thought of this. There's a proverb, Proverbs 28, verse 1. It's really a great proverb. It says this. He says that, that uh, okay, the wicked flee when no one is pursuing, but the righteous are bold as a lion. I said, wow, I like that. The, the, the wicked flee when no one's pursuing. They hear footsteps in the night when no one's there. But the righteous are bold as a lion. And reading it in light of the New Testament. So the, the wicked church, listen, the wicked flee because there's terror. There's terror. There's terror to think about death. 
there's terror to think about the fact that I answer to the God who made the heavens and the earth. And uh, what am I going to do? There's terror there. For many, many people, there's terror. But the righteous can be bold as a lion because the righteous says, my sin is covered by the blood of Christ. I am eternally loved. I have repeatedly in the New Testament, talks about I have a clear conscience. My conscience doesn't accuse me. The, the most horrible thing that I've ever done can be multiplied a hundred times over and is forgiven by Christ. It's covered by the blood of the Lord. I, so, so, we can flee. Righteous, bold as a lion. It's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like in, in Romans chapter 7. The Apostle Paul is talking, and, and he's, he's talking about the good things he wants to do, he doesn't do, and the bad things that he, that he wants to do, he doesn't always do. And, and, and then he says this, he, he, he calls out, really in, in pain, he says this. He says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He's just unhinged. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind. I want to do the right thing, but with my flesh I sometimes serve the law of sin. Next verse. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He says, I'm torn, I deal with sin, I'm simultaneously a saint and a sinner, but thanks be to God there's no condemnation. See, if you want to be strong, you know the gospel of grace. And, and then the seventh thing is, is this. He says in verse 12, he says, I know whom I believed and I am convinced that he will guard until that day what's been entrusted to me. He's going to guard my life until the day of judgment. He's going to carry me home. Now, if you, if you want to be bold and strong and courageous, he says, you live with those truths in your mind. So, um, I want to take a five-minute detour that deals w with this and uh, address an issue um, three years ago. There, there's a man named Ravi Zacharias who died in May of cancer, May of 2020. And I have read his books. I've recommended his books. He's an apologist, born in India, incredible conversion story as a teenager in India, um, has gone into the most renowned learning academia places in America and Europe and Asia and has held forth the gospel in a gracious, kind fashion. And he's preached Christ. And I recommended his books and listened to him for years. So about three years ago, there were some issues about academic degrees. And I, I said, well, I dismissed that. I, I hear so much. I just kind of go, don't. And then a couple of years ago, a year and a half ago, there were some statements about some issues uh, w with a woman. And I went, I ah, forget that. And then I heard more. And a friend called me who was on the board and said, we have bad things going on. And another person that, that was in this church, a dear person who worked with him, said, we're really struggling. And then World Magazine, which if you're going to read a magazine, read World Magazine. They, they had a four-page article about this, and I thought, unless there's truth of what I'm hearing, they would never publish it. They're not into yellow journalism or whatever. They're into truth speaking. So it was devastating. And my wife has followed 
him for years, listen to his tapes, and I, I said, here's the, here's the news magazine. And she said, I, I, I don't want to read it. I, I don't want to hear it. I said, okay. And then I got a call in December that the board is going to release a report in late January. Um, and the board hired an independent consult, consulting team and some other people that did an exhaustive study, and their report came out this past week, Thursday night. And uh, it talked about immorality. It talked about the abuse of women by Mr. Zacharias. It talked about women being paid money to say nothing. It talked about non-disclosure agreements with other women. So these people who gave to this ministry to teach others about Jesus were having their money given for this, these things. It, it broke my heart. So uh, Saturday morning, Friday night at 2 o'clock, I was up and I was reading this 13-page report and my heart just broke. And it's devastating. And so I've been walking through, there's a lot of things I want to say here, but there's a lot, I've been walking through that and I, I thought one thing that, 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 that people will say is that, well, he's just a man and, and we've got to place our faith in the Lord and not men. Listen, I agree with that kind of. Let me tell you why I say kind of. There's a strong statement in scripture about the importance of leadership. Let me say this. If you've been a Christian a month, you're a leader in this regard. If this was the first Sunday you took the Lord's Supper and you really got it, you said, this isn't a magical rite, this isn't earn me favor with God, this is an act of saying, this is the center of who I am. This is remembering the glory of the cross and the covering of my sin. That's a, this is the first time there are neighbors, there are coworkers, there'll be family members, there'll be people in your barracks or dormitory or that they will be looking and saying, is that really the real deal? Let me read a few verses. So, so for example, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, the apostle Paul looks at Timothy and he says, Timothy, you followed, verse 10, you followed my teaching, conduct, aim of life, faith, patience, love, steadfastness, persecutions, and sufferings. You, you followed them. You know them. He says in Philippians chapter 4, uh, verse 9, he talks, talks about this. He says, he, says, he says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, that's a strong statement. And I, I say we should be able to look at people around us as we walk with the Lord and we keep these things in our mind and say, listen, what you've seen and heard and received and whatever in me, if you practice these things, God's presence will be with you. Wow. Hebrews 13 says, consider the outcome of your leader's lives and imitate their faith. I mean, good grief. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says, or 1 Corinthians 11, 1, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So what I'm trying to say is this, is that we are responsible. And we're called to represent Christ. And if we're to do it well, we've got to know these facts. We've got to rehearse them. And they've got to be in our mind. And, and, and just know that. It's been a very discouraging time. I mean, I'm, I'm preparing this message. I think this is an incredibly positive statement. I mean, this whole thing about how, how to go strong and how to have sea legs and get up off the canvas when you've been knocked down. It's so positive. And it's right in the middle of it. I, I, this punch comes. It's hard. It's really hard. So, so, so let's back up. There, there's a statement in the, 
in the worship guide from a journal of counseling. It says this, and I love this statement. He says, what if, okay, what if the primary shaping insight in forming ministry was not that Christians are people vulnerable to indwelling sin or Satan or the world, which we are, but the primary shaping insight is that God will present them faultless on the day. That's what the Bible says. What if the already but not yet good, rather than the present evil, was functionally primary? And I want to say this morning, the reality of God and his power in us should be that which is functionally primary as we walk with each other and care for each other and, and love each other, that should be functionally primary. That, that God is at work in you and God is going to bless you and fill you with the Spirit and carry you along and energize you and help you get up off the mat. And life can be hard, but God is greater than the hardness of life. So there's a few comments from here from Confessions of Faith. One is from 1689, the Baptist Confession of Faith. And it says this about believers. They are more and more. And that's why I like it. They are more and more. Philippians 2. Paul says, now that you've always, you've always obeyed in my presence, but now much more in my absence. <laughs> See, much more. He says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You go, okay, Next verse, four, four. It is God who's working in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. Now, what do you do when you're disoriented? What, what do you do? You, you run to the cross. I, I was in Canada in 1999 with my family and we were going into a coffee shop in July of 1999. I'll never forget it. I'm going into a coffee shop and that those were in the, the days when they, especially in Europe and Canada, they, they would have a, a, a machine where you would drop in a couple of quarters to get a newspaper that really existed. And they would have the headlines on the front in giant letters to tease you to buy the newspaper. Front headline was John Kennedy Jr. dies in plane crash. I said, oh no. The son of John Kennedy, President Kennedy, who was assassinated in 1963, fast forward, you know what, 36 years, and this little boy that saluted his dad's coffin at his funeral, grew up, educated, seemed to be in many ways a very fine man, and started a magazine, was involved in philanthropy, he gets married, and he, he dies. And this is what happened, he was going to fly in Massachusetts, and the day he was going to fly, some veteran pilot said, I wouldn't fly. You can't see. There's no visibility. You can't see the horizon. And so Kennedy uh, said, well, I, th I think I can do it. We're not going that far. So he put his wife and his wife's sister on board, the three of them, and, and they, they took off. And the thing about it, the, the National Transportation Safety Board came out, and they said, well, uh, he has spent very little time flying the plane. He was flying as a new plane. He has spent less than an hour flying this new plane after dark that he had traveled very few times without a certified flight attendant in the seat next to him, that he was only 50% complete on his formal instruction training course for instrument flying, 
And they said, what happened is, is that when, when he was flying, that something called a spatial disintegration hits your brain. And you can't really see to read the instruments. And you really can't tell if you're flying sideways or right or upside down. And just get totally, totally turned around. And their plane hit the ocean, Atlantic Ocean, at full speed. And they th he thought they were flying straight. And I thought, that, that happens to me. That happens to me in the context of, at times of this culture, where you just get hit and hit and hit, and you just kind of feel like you're, 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 you have spatial disintegration. You know, what's going on? And if we're going to be strong, we've got to come back here. We've got to come back to the body of Christ. So more and more. And another confession of faith, this is the smaller catechism, says that, that, that they are enabled more and more to die to sin and to live to righteousness more and more. Or the larger catechism says that, that the graces are so stirred up and increased and strengthened as that they more and more die to sin and rise to newness of life. And listen, church, I, I rejoice that, that more and more the Holy Spirit is pouring his energy into our lives, that more and more he's changing us, he's convicting us and pushing us along and, and bringing us into the light more and more so we can understand the gospel and glory in Jesus and represent him. And I, I want to be functionally, I'm gonna say functionally, I'm gonna start with this point. There's a living God and he's working in our hearts. And he's working deeply and he's changing us. And I, I'm, I'm telling you, it is a glory to see people who walk with the Lord for decades. And, and you know, there, there's a kind of this, uh, this, this uh, vision of an older person. They get, they get beat down, they get stooped, and they get bald and old, and they, 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 they become crotchety. Let me tell you something. I know that sometimes you have to, physical pain just beats you up, but I believe biblically speaking, as you get older, you should be more kind and more gentle and more patient and more embracing and more filled with joy because you're walking with Jesus more. You've had the Holy Spirit for four decades instead of two decades or two years, that you are people of God more and more. Like 2 Peter 1 says, he's given us everything we need for life and godliness through this. As we participate in the divine nature and say no to the world and its passions. So the scripture makes us like Jesus. That's the more and more God we serve. Well, I've got to do this pretty quickly. I'm going to give you four statements about how we do this. So first of all, I'll give you some application. So how does this work? Very quickly. Let's say that you have a friend who's a follower of Christ, a disciple of Christ, and they're despondent. And we all get despondent. We all get despondent. You need to be a friend, have a friend that says, you know, I know this is, life is hard. And, and today's Valentine's Day. Let me tell you something. This is a hard day. I, I prayed for people this morning, especially who've just lost a spouse. Or, or have some of the dear people in our church who've buried a child Valentine's Day. Or people who have a loved one who's dying. Or I think some of our singles who everybody's saying, hey, it's great to be in love, it's being in love, yada, yada, yada. Let's watch romance comedy movies, yada, yada, yada. Let's sing love songs. I'm in good grief. And, and they're saying, well, we're not dating anybody right now. But man, all these people are still going forward. They're going forward. See? And I love them for it. Grandparents with grandkids that are breaking their hearts. But they're still going forward. So somebody's a despondent Christian, and we get despondent. 
You say, you know, I'm just going to stay in 2 Timothy. You know, isn't it? I know life is so hard, but listen, isn't it great that, that knowing Jesus gives us life and eternal life? And as we know him, the Holy Spirit pumps grace, peace, and mercy into our hearts. I know it's hard, but isn't it? Wow. God is greater. We have another friend who's, who's quite frankly, they're involved in sin. And, and if it's when people, when a person who names the name of Jesus is involved in sin, you don't say, hey, man, love you, wouldn't change a thing about you. That's the last thing you do. What you need to say to them is, you know, I love you enough to tell you this, that if you're involved in sin, you should be incredibly, incredibly depressed eventually. Because, because God has given you his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in you. And the Holy Spirit, my experience and other people, the Holy Spirit will not let you off the hook. Praise God. Because the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So when you're with a, a friend who's a disciple and they claim to be a disciple, they're not walking with the Lord, you say, listen, I got to tell you something. I rejoice that we have not a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. And this Holy Spirit won't let you off the hook. Another example, you have somewhere this, this doubt in the love of the Father. And we all doubt. We all have doubts. Am I really? And you go, you know, I, I, there are doubts. But, but let me tell you something. The Bible says that God loves us before time began. And the counsel of redemption, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, wow. And he's going to carry us across the finish line. I need to hear that. Or those who are grieving the loss of a, a loved one. I mean, grief is real. It's hard. But it's so good to walk up to someone who's lost a loved one. And they're believers. The loved one is a believer. And you say, you know, death is hard. We grieve. We hurt. We, we go sleepless. But, but, but listen, the ultimate reality is that God has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And for the believer to be absent from the body is to be with the Lord, is to be in the presence of God where there, is, there, there, there are rivers of joy that are inexhaustible. And in and, and reality, if your loved one, as much as we loved him or her, if your loved one would come back, they would not because they're in a place of overflowing joy. Or, or, or our parent, just someone who has a, a child or a grandchild this this struggling and you don't know what's going on. So I, I do know this. There's a God who works in the hearts of people and he guards us to the end. So I, see, see what I'm saying? You, to be strong, you've got to go to these truths. Now, let me give you very quickly. I've got to do this fast. Four ways, four ways to, 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 to make application to this. Number one is, listen, we should know evil... Be aware of it, but not be awash in it. We should be aware of evil, but not be awash in it. And let me tell you what I mean by that. So, so we can hear about a man that's fallen into sin and, and didn't finish well and didn't repent, like I just mentioned a few minutes ago. And we forget the tens of thousands of hundreds of thousands of men and women in the Middle East and in China and in Cuba and in North Korea and in places like Iran and Iraq who name the name of Jesus and go forward in faith in spite of all types of 
things raised against them. That we need to be aware of, of evil. We're not awash. We need to be aware right now. The BBC last week released a report that talked about the incredible genocide in China today by the Chinese government of the Uyghur people. Two million people that are being wiped out and systematically farmed out to be in homes where they have children with people who are not Uyghurs and where they are massively aborted, the babies that they have, or where there's, it's just the, the, the horror. And this is the BBC, British Broadcasting Corporation. It's there. I need to be aware of that. But, 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 but I don't need to be awash in that. I need to be aware of how women are mistreated in our culture, and even so does chattel slavery. No, I need to, we need to be aware of that. But, but, but I need to be aware of God's goodness to his people. Philippians, Philippians 4.8 says this. Finally, brothers, whatever is, is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable, if there is anything excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And really to think about is really a bad, I think it's a bad translation. The word there means ponder deeply. Ponder deeply. So if I'm going to think deeply, I need to primarily think deeply deeply about the things that are good and true and honorable and just. I'll think about the people that, that I know in this church, for example, who gave sacrificially for the World Christmas Offering. Think about people who go to the Navigation Center in North Charleston and care for people that are down on their luck or people that are in families camp where we try to put families together or, 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 or people that, that teach our children who care for people who love the elderly, who, who go to the, the homeless shelter. I mean, all these people and the goodness of the Lord. So I need to be aware, but not awash. Number two, I've got to, the optimist stance should be to rejoice and gladden in the fresh ongoing supply of the Spirit of God that's poured into our lives. Second Timothy 2, 1. Therefore, my son, be strong in the graces in Jesus Christ. Be continually strengthened. Be continually strengthened by that grace. And I, I just, as I think about this, I think that for every 20, for every one look I see, look at my sin, and I do have sin, and my shortcomings, and my faults, and my crummy attitudes, for every one look at that, I need to have 25 ponderous looks at the cross of Jesus and to see the blood of Christ covering my sin. Thirdly, please hear this. Thirdly, worship, looking to Jesus. And that's all about concentrating on these, on these facts. Worshiping, looking to Jesus, waiting upon him must be central to who I am. The living of my life as a disciple of Christ is the overflow of what I think about the glory of Christ. It's the overflow effect See, in the Old, Old Testament, it says time after time, Psalm 27, Isaiah 40, wait upon the Lord. Wait upon the Lord. And that just means to, to, to look to him in expectation and hope. It means to trust in him. Lamentations is a book written, we think, by Jeremiah, and uh, it's, it's about the the destruction, the fall of Jerusalem. And, but yet in the midst of this book, listen to this. He says, the, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Well-known passage. And he says this. 
the, the Lord is my portion and my soul, so is my soul, therefore I will hope in him. Next verse, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. So waiting upon the Lord, looking to the Lord, coming to church on the Lord's day to be with God's people in expectation, getting up in the morning and reading the Bible with expectation or during the day with expectation, Lord, I'm waiting upon you. Change me, teach me. The most important thing I can do as in any call in my life, father, grandfather, husband, pastor, friend, the most important thing I can do, listen to me, is to seek Christ. I believe that. That's the most important thing I can do. If, 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 you're, if you're married, or almost getting married, or courting, looking at marriage, the most important thing you can do is to be a person who worships Christ, the overflow effect. Man, I want that overflow effect. So much here. Number four, very, very quickly, says community with other believers is very, vastly, unbelievably important. So let me, let me tell you about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul um, wrote 1 Corinthians uh, 10 years, eight years before he wrote 2 Timothy. And in 1 Corinthians, he has this biographical sketch. And this is what Paul says. It's in 1 Corinthians 11. Um, he says, let me tell you about my life. Starting in verse 25, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 11. He says, let me tell you about my life. He says, I have been five times beaten with the lash, 40 times minus one. What that means is, is in those days, when you beat someone with the lash 40 times, it usually killed them. So Paul says, I've been beaten five times with the lash, but 39 times. They didn't want to kill me, but they want to get me so close I could taste death. Five times. He says, three times. I've been beaten with rods, big sticks. He says, once I've been stoned and left for dead. Three times I've been shipwrecked. And then he says this, I'm in danger in the rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, and hunger and thirst, often without food, and cold and exposure. Now, this was written eight to ten years before 2 Timothy. So he's had eight more years, ten more years to live this. Let me, let me tell you something. I have never been beaten with a lash. I've never been beaten with a rod. I've never been stoned and left for dead. Shipwrecked? Nah. And so, so I think Paul says, Paul is the man. He is a man's man. And he's writing this eight years later. He's in a Philippi jail. He's, excuse me, a, a jail in, in Rome. He's, he's chained to people night and day. And this, this warrior who's faced more hardship than I will ever begin to taste, or you, ever, this is what he says. This is, this is so tender to me. It's almost a melancholic plaintive call from his soul. 2 Timothy 4, verse 9. Do your best to come to me. Do your best to come to me. 
Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he's very useful to me for ministry. And when you come, bring the cloak I left with Carpus at Troas. It's cold in this prison. It's damp. I just want some warmth. And then he says this, and the books, and above all, the parchments. In other words, bring the gospel writings, bring the literature, bring things I can write on and study, because I want to go strong to the end. And I, I said, Paul, Paul you, you've been beaten with the lash five times. You've been left for dead after they stoned you to death, they thought. You've been beaten with rods. You've been shipwrecked. You've been snake bit. You've, you've, but you never get beyond the need of real people who love you in a real way in the name of the risen Jesus. And if I'm to be strong, I've got to taste community and friendship, this life-sustaining. If I'm to live courageously, let's pray. Lord, thanks for this day, for the tender mercies of Christ, for caring for us in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to say one more thing real quick. I just thought of this. So y'all come on up and get ready. So my, my, my closing illustration, my time is gone. I don't think it's I mean, no way going anywhere. It's cold and rainy. So let me go. So a year ago, a year ago, a couple of weeks ago, or a month ago, a couple weeks ago, um, so I came up on church Sunday and somebody texted me, have you heard about Kobe Bryant? And so last, I think it was last January, uh, Kobe Bryant and his Went to, went to Mass, got his 13-year-old daughter and some of her friends and got, got on a plane and, uh, or got on a helicopter. And uh, 13 people were killed. The, the, the pilot flew into the side of a mountain. And uh, the, the National Transportation Safety Board released a report this week, and this was in the Los Angeles Times, and I thought it was very interesting. First of all, I really like Kobe Bryant. I liked him a lot. He, he died at age 41. He, was, he had a very difficult situation when he was young. and did something really wrong. But he and his wife worked through it. They had children. They seemed to love his children. I really liked Kobe Bryant. He was a great ball player. I always had this issue because I loved Kobe Bryant, but I hated the Lakers. So you see, that's, that's a bad thing. It's just you're, you're kind of, it's like last week in the Super Bowl. I really liked Tom Brady for the first time ever. Because I don't like the Patriots, but Tampa Bay's okay. But anyway, so I, I, Kobe, he's a great ambassador for the game. But this is what the National Transportation Board said: that the pilot, who was 50, he had he he had five, eight thousand, listen, eight thousand five hundred hours of flight training in a helicopter. You hear that? Eight thousand five hundred. He had flown in that area the last ten years. It's not like he flew in from the East Coast and didn't know the topography. Um, he was told before they went out, the visibility is so bad by, by, by the controls, it's so bad we would encourage you not to fly because there was dense, dense fog. But then this is what struck me in the report that was in the LA Times. The previous owner of the helicopter regularly operated it and only would fly with two pilots. The pilot... Uh, the pilot went against the regulations, federal guidelines for flying into dense fog. The regulations said you shouldn't do it. He was the only pilot. And they said, what happened to him? Same thing happened to John Kennedy. Spatial disorientation. And what, what struck me, though, is there's just one pilot. 
I know two guys can go spatial disorientation. I know that. But maybe one does and maybe one doesn't. And I thought, boy, this is so applicable to, to me that as I walk before the Lord, I need to be yoked with other people. And I need to listen. And I need to know how to read the instrumentation manual. So God bless you. Thank you.